Welcome to the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast. Every preacher knows when they're teetering on the edge of a topic that will result in receiving a phone call on Monday morning. Instead of backing away, this podcast exists to work through these polarizing ideas and spark conversation. In each episode, we'll be covering a different topic that hopefully we'll be able to address with more nuance and depth than we might be able to in a weekend service. We'd love for this platform to be the start of the conversation, and hopefully it sparks more in-depth dialogue with your friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors. All right. Well, hi. Uh, We are the hosts of the show. I'm Paul Joslin. And I'm Alyssa Frisbee. Today on this episode, we are beginning a new season, a season all about fear. We live in a fear-driven society, and it is the motivation to so many of our decisions. Why is that? As people of faith, we are told 365 times, a time for each day of the year, throughout Scripture to fear not, and yet it secretly grabs a foothold in our lives. Yeah, so today we're addressing a universal fear, and that is the fear of death. Throughout each of our lives, uh, we know and understand that death is imminent, and yet sometimes we can spend so little time talking or thinking or contemplating on it. So today, that's going to be a part of the conversation. Let's dive in. As you may have noticed uh, in the intro, we have added a new host to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. We're really excited. Uh, Alyssa, my friend and coworker, is going to be joining the show with me as co-host this season. Um, so we're really excited to have you, Alyssa. I know you've been at Waterstone for a long time. We actually started around the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you kind of been doing at Waterstone and, and why are you excited to be a part of the podcast? Hi, it's so good to be here. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I started in January of 2013, and I was Nick and Larry's admin. I'm sorry. Right? <laughs> Hard place to start. <laughs> I just start from start from the top. Yep. Um, and I was trying to be your friend, Paul, and you did that's not true. want any of that. Um, we remember this very differently, but uh-huh. that's okay. Um, <laughs> I was a little rude, apparently, and off-putting, but to be fair, I was the front desk receptionist when I started here. So. Right, as a 20-something a hard, man, also that's a hard. hard. Spot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then I churched you, you into being my friend and was the student admin for a while. Um, and then I decided that numbers made more sense to me than teenagers, and so I switched to the finance department. <laughs> um, and I've been doing that. Uh, for about four years now. So Ooh. this is something totally different, but I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And just so those of you at home listening know, uh, we're really excited for Alyssa to join. Uh, she is a great mind, thinks very deeply about things, understands the intersection of culture and faith, which I think is a lot of what this podcast is all about. And so she's going to be a great addition to the the podcast. We're excited to have her. And also today, we are joined by our friend uh, Kaylee Buxton, uh, who if you've been at Waterstone over the last few years, you might have heard Kaylee's story. A few years ago, she was diagnosed um, with cancer. And then um, last December, she also shared some of her experience around being diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, But truly beyond that, uh, Kaylee is an incredibly intelligent person, a great friend uh, to so many people. And so we thought she would be a great person to invite into this conversation. So thanks for for jumping on, Uh, Kaylee. We're excited you're here. Thank you. Me too. Cool. So as we start this season on fear and this episode specifically about the fear of death, I thought it might be an interesting place to start by just kind of asking the question, where do you guys remember first experiencing like the fear of death? What was that like for you and, and when did that happen? Well, for me, I remember watching Jurassic Park when I was three, okay. and 
the Tyrannosaurus Rex eating the guy off the toilet. And I knew that I did not want that to happen to me. Yeah, that seems fair. Right? I, yeah, for all of us. Mm-hmm. Very so. perceptive for the three-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. How about for you, Kaylee? Um, my mom inadvertently freaked me out about it when I was probably six because she took me to the doctor to have a mole checked out. And all I heard was mole might be cancerous and already a six. I was associating that with bad things. And so Mm -hmm. I spent a few weeks, I think, believing that my whole family knew I was going to die and I wasn't going to ask them about it and they weren't going to tell me about it. And we were just all operating under that oh, assumption no. and just moving on. <laughs> we all had this mutual understanding that, that something bad was going to happen, but no we one just, was talking about it. We just didn't talk about it. I'm so sorry. That's very yeah. scary as a, as a six-year-old. <laughs> so feel like you've kind of recovered from that now or still working um, through some of the family dynamics there? <laughs> I, I think it's okay. Although yeah. there's a song like to further like, reinforce my fear of that moment. There's a song by an artist, Cat Stevens. It's called yeah. I Might Die Tonight. And I <laughs> I remember hearing that song during that time and I was like, oh no. You were really cool if you were listening to Cat Stevens at six. That's awesome. I didn't find out. My parents didn't really keep us away from any music. Nice. That's good. You were were one of the fortunate few. I love that. Um, I'd say for me, I don't really remember the moment, but I remember laying awake in bed one night and thinking about death for some reason and suddenly realizing that like, what happens after death and that death is mm-hmm. forever and then just feeling yeah. very overwhelmed by that thought of forever. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't even necessarily death that I was first afraid of. It was like, what does eternity mean? That mm-hmm. feels crazy. Um, so I think I ran and, and asked my parents and we kind of talked through death and heaven and all of those kind of things. But yeah, it's kind of traumatic as a kid thinking about that. So seriously, what, um, <laughs> What other ways would you guys say, like experiences you've had with death? Um, what ways has death kind of shaped some of your journey? Um, Kelly, do you mind maybe sharing some of that? No, um, I think probably one of the biggest things in my life was I was in fifth grade when Columbine happened. Mm-hmm. And um, my aunt's sister, so my aunt by marriage, her younger sister was one of the victims of Columbine. Um, I didn't know her well at all. I'd met her like once, but it, I think that was kind of the first time that I was like, oh, that's first of all, a young person. And second of all, just like somebody who I'd seen pictures of, I saw her at my aunt's wedding, um, and just sort of, you know, the horror was all over the news and just having to think about, wow, like that just happened. And what a surprise, like it wasn't an old person who you kind of expected more it was like a 16 year old girl yeah I know that that's one that stands out to me from childhood even though I didn't live in Colorado at the time it was still all over the news and just Mm -hmm. contemplating and thinking like man that that can happen anywhere like does that happen to my friends and and um yeah when you begin to realize that death isn't just for like goldfish or grandparents it can be (laughs) kind of a rude awakening a little Mm -hmm. bit so how about for you Alyssa um yeah, I mean, along with Columbine, because I was nine when it happened, so mm-hmm. third grade, I think, um, 9-11. Like, I remember mm-hmm. that very vividly. And again, even though wasn't in um, New York, we one of the guys in my class, his dad was there. And I just remember him being so frantic that whole day, like, trying to get a hold of his dad and, um, and just that feeling very real. Um, but I think, mm-hmm. obviously, on a more personal note... Um, kind of in middle school, like the anxiety and like fear of death became really, really like palpable to me. Um, 
because I think I kind of got to this understanding of, all right, I believe in Jesus and I believe that he, you know, died on the cross for my sins and I'm going to go to heaven. But I think all of a sudden there's this shift of like, well, what does that actually mean? And do I believe that? And there's this unknown. And am I going to live completely differently than the world for no reason? Mm. Um, And so just uh, spent a lot of time processing that and counseling. And and still, I think that that is something that I have a lot of anxiety about. Um, And so I'm so thankful that Kaylee's here to talk about it with all of us because she's talked me through a lot of things already. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just a lot um, that that is kind of a theme that I've seen Mm. throughout my life a handful of times. Yeah. Mm. I think one of the hard things about this conversation is that death is not something most of us spend every day thinking about. But then when we are confronted with it, um, whether that's through a loss of a loved one or something we see on the news, it hits home um, in a very deep way. Mm -hmm. And when it does, it can be very, you know, earth shattering. It can be, it can shake who we are and what we think. Um, So how, as you guys have, if we start this conversation around fear of death, um, what are some of those, those ways that, um, you know, you might've been going through life, not thinking about death. And then all of a sudden it's there in front of you. What do you do in those moments? How do you react to that um, when you are confronted with the reality of death? Again, Kaylee, you got thoughts? Um, I think it it really depends because I feel like my experience has been it, that it's very different to truly have to think about your own mm. um, because it just brings it so much closer yeah. in a way that I, I don't know how much I think you can really if you can think about it the same way when you aren't feeling like your own death is pretty imminent. And I mean, honestly, we all probably know that, yeah, you know, you could be hit by a bus, you could be hit by a meteor. Like there's always random possibilities that we don't tend to consider. But um, like when it actually became imminent for me, I had to think about it a lot more. And so I just really, really had to test like every day, do I believe in Jesus? Do I really think this is true? What does that mean? Because I just was confronted by it. There was no way around it. I'm getting breakfast. I'm like, okay, so I'm going to die. Hmm. What What does that mean? Hmm. I'm just really having to think about it very deeply every day. Yeah. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about what that was like to, to think about that deeply when, when you were kind of confronted with that news? Um, where some of the places you went? Yeah, I mean, I I know when I first got the news, like certainly it was an upsetting day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's fair. Like <laughs> to say the we, least. We tried to watch. My family tried to watch like a cartoon, um, and. I just was super emotional about mm. the cartoon. Like we were just trying to watch a Disney movie and I was like getting all teary about like how I felt they were managing, like treating each other and all this mm. stuff. Um, and I was like, okay, that's not going to work. So I just, I feel like it was emotion that I didn't quite know what to do with. And so I'm crying at a Disney movie. Um, but then like just kind of, I don't even know how much of a process it really ended mm. up being. It was just kind of, I just had to have a very frank like discussion with myself and my family luckily has been very open that we just had to talk and I had to talk with myself about like, okay, what, what does this mean? And what does this mean, especially about like Jesus and everything? And so I feel like in the end, it was kind of a quick transition because Mm -hmm. I just had to like, it's like, it's kind of inescapable. I just need to figure out how to go about my life until then. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you, you sharing a lot of that. And I think um, 
you know, obviously, uh, most of the people listening or, or listening that we haven't had that experience, which I think is, is something unique that I'm so thankful you're willing to share with people, because I think one of the things is we've had some of these conversations, um, is your openness to, okay, what does this mean, uh, for my faith and how does Jesus impact that? And I know we're going to talk about that a little later. Um, but as someone who, you know, is not confronted with that reality, it's those moments where, you know, the loss of my mom when I was 20, that there's a long stage of grief and wrestling through like why God allows certain people to die and not others. Um, and what that uh, looks like, what is just, what is fair. And, and I think death can bring up a lot of those things for, for people. Um, and so one of the things that I think has been, such an encouragement for the, those of us who have watched you go through this journey is that as you have experienced this, you you have, have, I'm sure at times had those questions, but so much of your journey has been about, okay, how do I make the most out of the life that I have left? Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? And how do I enjoy um, what God has given me? So um, it feels like it's a little bit of a different response than a lot of people have to death. Um, and so. Because I know in your Advent video, like you shared that you were surprised by the fact that the church preaches victory over death, but then how fellow Christians have been responding to your diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about that and why you think Christians are afraid to die? Yeah, um, it it has been discouraging just because I really care about thinking very, very deeply about my theology. and I think that's really been helpful because, like, for instance, when I was diagnosed, well, I get the question a lot from from Christians and from non-Christians, like, was I mad at God? Mm-hmm. And the assumption always seems to be, like, of course, I must right. have gone through that period. And I never was mm-hmm. because I was, like, I've been thinking that God is good while learning about the Holocaust in school, while other people have mm-hmm. been getting cancer or whatever and dying. And so why on earth would I suddenly question that just because it's me? Mm-hmm. Like, that just didn't make any sense to me. And and so that did kind of trouble me that people were, it almost felt like people were encouraging me to be mad at God. And I'm right. like, I'm just not. Like, yeah. uh, statistically, this happens to people. Right. And <laughs> that's me. And As Larry yeah. says, the statistics on death are pretty good. <laughs> right. Yeah, and yeah. just even for cancer, like, yeah, I'm a weird demographic to get breast cancer um but there are always outliers and they're always like the fallen world just hits people um Mm. and so that's just how i sort of that's how i see it and so it's been hard within the church to kind of feel like people are angrier for me than i am Mm. for myself or acting as though like oh my gosh how did god let that happen like is he paying attention? Like, like implying that for something bad to happen to a Christian is not how it's supposed to go. And it's like, he told Mm. us that's how it would go. And like Jesus's followers all had, well, most had, um, pretty hard lives and, and pretty brutal deaths. And so the sort of connection between like being faithful and therefore getting to live to be a hundred and dying peaceful in your sleep, yeah, you know, with your great, great grandchildren by your side. Like that seems to be the picture that a lot of people expect, but I don't think that's true. And I don't think that's a very helpful um, 
goal. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, to, to me, you just said something about like how important it is to think through theology and that mm-hmm. that's been a huge part of your journey. And I think sometimes when we're confronted with like hardship or death, it really reveals how much of this like health and wealth kind of gospel and culture has influenced just even mainstream Christianity and that we're like somehow shocked when a bad thing mm-hmm. happens to a Christian, like that would not, like God could never allow that. And yet, as you said, Jesus actually promises us that we will go through hardship and that we will suffer and that like life will be painful. Um, but he promises he'll be with us through that. And so somehow we've, we've missed that like God can't be good. God's not with us. God doesn't care um, because we're going through, through hardship. But really the, the promise we have of Jesus is the opposite, that God has promised Emmanuel to be with us in our, our fallen state um, and in those moments of, of hardship and grief. So I, I think as you were just talking about the, the importance of, of theology, um, that's one of the things that strikes me is, mm-hmm. is I think death often reveals what we truly believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been, it's been amazing to, to see your testimony and your faithfulness in that space despite this, this diagnosis. And um, yeah, so why do you think that Christians are afraid to die? Why why is it that they're coming to you upset? Um I mean, I I think it might be I haven't, you know, known that many Christians who come from other countries, so I don't want to entirely blame it on, yeah. you know, the country we live in, but I think we are used to being pretty safe here mm-hmm. like uh, referencing back to, you know, you brought up about 9-11. Um, I recall my eighth grade, one of my eighth grade teachers who was a Christian saying, I believe this is like the apocalypse. I called wow. my husband to say goodbye. Oh. And like, <laughs> oh my gosh, September 11th, it was, a, it was a tragedy, of course, but like that's also kind of Tuesday in the Middle right. East yeah. and in a lot of countries yeah. where violence and destruction is more common. And so I think we are used to feeling very safe here and we almost feel like 80, 90, 100 years are like a right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think also within, I don't know if it's like the past century or so, death has gotten very far from us, like where it used to be, you know, when somebody died within a family, um, probably the family was pretty involved in yeah. that process of, you know, like being around the, right. the person and taking care of their burial or, or whatever. And now I feel like that's kind of been, it's, it's an industry now. And so when somebody dies, like the hospital deals with it Mm -hmm. or, um, the, you know, the professionals deal with it basically. And so it's just, is something that's kind of gone behind closed doors. And I don't think that we're used to having to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. There's there's this removal. And even if you think about like the food that we eat, we're not yeah. exposed to the death that, that happens there at all. And, and yeah, so there's so much of this conversation where we've kind of like sanitized ourselves mm-hmm. and, and quarantined ourselves from death in, in so many different ways. Until yeah. a global <laughs> pandemic happens <laughs> yeah. and then we are faced with death really yeah. right there. In a um, different way. Right? So how... Do you both feel like that fear of death um, relates to our culture's response to COVID? Um, Paul? Yeah, you know, that's right, because I think in many ways one of the unsettling things about the pandemic is it has forced us to to Mm -hmm. recognize that 
um, death is real in ways that, that we've been very sheltered from. Um, and so I don't know that, I mean, there's so many different ways we could take this conversation. And for us, it, it might feel kind of abstract. For others, it might feel like very practical and in the weeds because of people they've lost. Um, but I, I think one of the fascinating conversations um, around this is is like the quality of life and what people are willing to to give up in order to stay alive and yeah. um, and just the balance and and everybody's kind of making that choice for themselves um, and so it's a it's a challenge I think at times to know yeah how how do we interact with this and and what is the correct response and because um, we don't have to deal with it that often yeah. <laughs> I mean and Kaylee you are obviously in the throes of having to choose between quality of life and length of life. Mm -hmm. Um, How are you kind of living in that tension and what is that looking like for you right now? Um, It's been hard mostly because I feel like I'm sort of up against society. And if I was up against atheist society only, that would be okay Mm -hmm. because we're supposed Mm -hmm. to look crazy to people who don't believe in Jesus. We're told that a lot. Like our giving is supposed to look crazy. Our mercy Mm -hmm. is supposed to look crazy. Our turning the other cheek, all that stuff is supposed to look crazy. But it has been hard because I felt pressure from some Christians to like do every single treatment, no matter how miserable it makes me, as long as it means I'm here breathing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, if I can't, like, I understand there will be a time when I'm mostly, like, not really getting up and probably in a lot of pain and stuff, but, like, I don't want to extend that time in more than it has to be. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like medical intervention to a degree is really helpful, but I think it can it can be taken too far in terms of, like, keeping people away from God for longer than they need to be Mm. and putting them through more suffering in the end, honestly. Um, And so I've felt, and my family has been very supportive of me, that I've been like, I'll do reasonable treatments, Mm. um, but I care much more about quality of life versus quantity, and I've had a hard time feeling like kind of brave enough to tell people that because I'm afraid of people being angry at me or thinking that I'm like evil or I don't value life or something when I'm saying like, yeah, they offered me this one treatment. I tried it. I felt terrible and I quit after two weeks. Mm. Um, and I don't know what impact that had on my longevity. Like I can't quantify that, but, um, it feels like a controversial thing. And so it's hard, but I, I feel like it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I think that, uh, um, fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to couch it, that that's going to be a, a conversation that a lot of Christians are going to have in the future because of so many of the advancements yeah. in medical science that what is the, the length that we go to to prolong life? And I, I think so much of that conversation has to be about motivation too. And, yeah. um, and I think Jesus has a lot of things to say about what motivates us. Um, and so can you maybe talk us through some of how you've maybe like held some of those conversations and what, um, how Jesus has factored into that and, and motivation for maybe taking treatments at times to, to prolong life, but then choosing not to, if it's been something that actually deteriorates your quality of life? Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is good timing. So I sort of had an epiphany about this this week, actually. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> um, I love this. But, um, yeah, I mean, I had basically until this point, and it's been like two years of treatment, I um, 
I kind of was just going with the flow a little bit. And honestly, it was kind of easy for me because I kept trying the treatments. They kept not working. So mm. I was just like, okay, well, right. I don't really have much no choice. agency in all this. Um, but so recently it turns out that the chemo that I started in December um, is kind of working in my liver but not in my bones, which basically means I could live longer but have a lot more pain. Mm. Um, and I was really torn about that. I was yeah. like, what What do I do with that? Because I don't want more pain. Like the bone pain is honestly the worst um, of the cancer pains that I've had. Mm. And But so my epiphany was basically that it's really kind of drilled into us that Jesus, he had a lot of power. He could have like allowed the disciples to fight and therefore not been, you know, arrested. He could have, like, as they were mocking him, you know, get yourself off the cross. Well, he could have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it says something about like, he could have called down tens of thousands of angels to, to save him and he didn't. And so I was, it just sort of was a freeing thought finally that I was like, okay, he could have done more to stay alive. But he didn't mm. because he understood that heaven was waiting and that God mm. like had a purpose and um, just that this life isn't it and that trying to – like he could have lived to 3008 or whatever <laughs> if he wanted to, you know, yeah. like – but he yeah. just understood that like we aren't meant to live in a fallen world forever. And mm. so that actually was really empowering to me and it finally made me feel sort of freed up that like – okay, I don't have to do every treatment that's offered to me. Yeah. And that doesn't make me bad. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that, thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of people will find that encouraging and, and um, eye-opening. And Alyssa, I'd love to get some of your thoughts on this, that, that you know, Jesus did not choose um, to, to extend life, prolong life. Where is that balance for you? Or how do you wrestle through some of those things as, as we're talking about death and, and um yeah, where where do you take that kind of personally for you? It's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I do feel glad that I'm not, you know, it's not dire, all these decisions. But I think about even um, working out, right? That it's mm. like, man, am I going to spend 10 years on a, an elliptical? Or <laughs> am I going to, like, shorten my life by 10 years, right? And just mm. even those tensions of um, being healthy, holistically, Mm. um, right. And, um, just kind of choosing things that are best, um, day to day, I guess, is what I, I, how I've always chosen it, that I don't want to live in extremes in any, um, capacity, right. Mm. Um, not living is dying even if you're here. Yeah. 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 Do you have any thoughts, Paul? (laughs) Well, I was just saying a lot of this, I think, and you kind of mentioned this, um, Kaylee, but this question of, of, the afterlife. And I think what we believe happens after life, um, after death is so important to this conversation. And so, um, it might be a good place to just kind of, to explore thoughts on heaven a little bit. And, and mm-hmm. cause I know for you, Kaylee, um, and Alyssa, I know some of your story that, that heaven is not just some theoretical abstract thing, um, necessarily, but, um, that's our, our hope and something yeah. that grounds us in this conversation. So how, do, how does heaven factor into this conversation about quality of life versus quantity of life and, and all of the different things we've been talking about? Um, well, I think like, yeah, heaven, it's not this abstract thing. And I've, I feel like we end up sort of talking about it that way because it is hard because, yeah, we can't picture what it's going to be like right. and we don't know. And... Um, 
but I think that we can trust and that it's better than anything here. Like maybe mm. there are glimpses of it here, but like heaven is absolutely better than anything here. And so when people have been sad for me about things I'm going to miss on earth by dying young, I'm like, do we not think that heaven is going to be way right. better? Like what that I miss here hmm. is really going to be less than whatever will be there in mm-hmm. heaven. And um, so, I mean, that's just, you know, incredibly like hopeful. And and I think it's, again, easy, like when you're just living your day-to-day life, like it's so easy to be- get caught up in just the like mundane tasks of going to the store and vacuuming and, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. and to forget kind of the spiritual realities that are right. really foundational to it all. But like when we talk about heaven, we're really, 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 truly talking about we get to see Jesus, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the one who we've been talking about, the one who we've been singing about for all this time. And like it's it's a really weird, like I get this kind of weird swoop of like, oh my gosh, that's true. That <laughs> yeah. like when I die, I'm going to like – poof in front of him somehow and like I'm finally gonna see him and it just like it feels so um you know as opposed to dystopian it feels so utopian I guess right that it's just it's hard to believe that that's our reality but like I do believe that's our reality um and I wish that that was kind of more like manifest in our daily lives but I get that it's hard (laughs) yeah for sure yeah, I think um, I go to the place that you talked about, Paul, when you were 10, of like the idea of eternity and mm. how that feels like so overwhelming. And I'm like, are we just going to like sing forever? <laughs> like just amazing yeah. grace over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and I don't know if that seems fun, but um, I think God is definitely fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's hard to know what it will be like, but it's yeah. got to be, it's got to be good, you know? And so to not feel, I try really hard to not feel overwhelmed. Mm by what I, what I don't know, right? That it's almost yeah. that same same thing of death is the fear of the unknown in a bad way and heaven is still unknown and so it's scary, but you know it's going to be good. Yeah. The, the thing both of you guys were actually saying, it kind of jarred in memory that I, I think like one of the the difficulties about this conversation is is Christians are people who, who should not fear death. Like a scripture just blatantly tells us that, that we should not be afraid of death because we uh, believe in and serve the one who conquered death and yeah. has victory over death. And yet the complicating factor in all that is it's kind of what you alluded to, Kaylee, of, of people who are left behind, those we love, those we care about, um, who are grieving. And, um, you know, one what you guys were saying made me think of this. It's a hypothesis, I guess, because people haven't been to heaven and so they don't know. But there's this idea that, that because of how God functions, that time is, is not linear in heaven and that Mm -hmm. there's actually no time lost for the people who are there waiting for the fulfillment of Christ's return. And for, Mm -hmm. and so there's this idea that, um, and Kayla, you might have to help me with some of this because I might butcher it, but this idea that when we die, um, and when we experience heaven, we are actually surrounded by and experience the ones we love potentially even those who have not died yet because of the way time might function wow. in eternity. So I, I think yeah. I've heard you talk about that some before. Yeah, so that's that's me going all physics nerd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that as humans, you know, we're very linear, obviously. Um, so we think of our lives very linearly because it's all we know, and we only know three dimensions slash four if you want the fourth to be time. But um, I just figure that eternity 
means in all directions. And, and you both have mentioned like the kind of fear of forever or infinity. Mm-hmm. And I get that, like looking down, you know, a, a tunnel that only goes one direction. You're just like, oh my gosh, like I can't even see, right. like, How is there an end to this tunnel? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I tend to think that like eternity will be in all directions and in all dimensions that we can't even understand. And so I don't think it's like forever forward, like the year infinity will still be in heaven. I just don't think it will operate that way. And I think that also in heaven, we won't be linear in the same way that we are here. So I don't think it will feel like forever. I think Mm -hmm. it will just always Mm -hmm. feel like now. Mm -hmm. And I think the present is where we can experience God anyway best, you know, because like the future, we just get, we freak ourselves out too much and, and the past, like, you know, you can have memories and stuff, but I think being in the present is, is probably best for having a relationship with God. And so I figure that heaven is just forever the present, but that it won't feel like this, like interminable Mm. (laughs) just thing that we can't get out of. And that we're just like, oh my gosh, like really, we're still, (laughs) we're still here. (laughs) Uh So you're saying it's not like the good place or the bad place where it's like, what, why, how does this, it's not like Groundhog Day where everything's just on the loop, but yeah, I, I think there's something to that and that we're, um, there's a, a theological thought that humans are always people who are longing for the future or for the past, and but that God is always in the now, and you were kind of speaking to that. Um, and so I, I think you're right that when we talk about heaven or new heavens and new earth, that that new creation that that is awaiting for us um, at the end of all things, is that there is like a forever present moment with the the people we care about and love with God's creation and with Him, and we're living in harmony there. So I think. Again, when we talk about some of the fear of death, it's, it's we don't understand some of those elements, and we could probably talk for a long mm-hmm. time about the beauty um, of heaven that that awaits us. But uh, maybe to shift the conversation a little bit um, to the Bible now, how is how has Scripture helped in some of these conversations, or kind of grounded your faith in in these beliefs that of heaven or about death? What what role has Scripture played for you? Um, I think that there are just like a few verses that have just sort of given me a lot of peace about like just sort of that God is is in control of this too. Um, and like for instance, I've always liked the verse, um, I think it's at the end of Genesis 3, where like Adam and Eve have eaten from the tree and so they know good and evil and then God is like discussing amongst himself in the Trinity, like, well, now that they know, now that they have the knowledge of good and evil, we can't let them eat from the tree of life and live forever. So we have to kick them out of the garden. And then he, you know, puts the angel there with a sword so they can't get Mm. back in. And just like that, even back then, God like knew us Mm. and our tendencies so well that he was like, they're going to want to live forever, even in a fallen world. So I'm going to have to make it so that they can come to me a different, like, so that the fallen world isn't forever. And I just think that's cute. <laughs> um, I like that a lot. Um, yeah. And then just like th- that idea sort of furthered in um, Jesus's prayer in John when he's in Gethsemane and he just mm. says like, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am mm-hmm. and and he's going to heaven. And so that's Jesus saying like, yeah, I don't want them stuck here on earth forever either. Like, and yes, in the end, I'm saying I want them to die so they can be with me because yeah. he went first. And so just kind of between God and Jesus, um, just kind of sorting that out and being like, yeah, the best place for them to be is in heaven. And 
death is the way to get there. Yeah. We often don't think about it in those terms, but but the way scripture kind of, it's interesting because scripture carries this tension, right? Death is the great enemy that, that was a result of a, of a fallen world, that it wasn't a part of God's original intent and design. And yet it's ultimately the, the means um, and the vehicle for reunification with him. And so that in death, we are reunited with God like we were before the fall, or that even in Jesus' death and then his resurrection, God makes the way for us to be able to to be in relationship and in that perfect harmony and communion uh, with Him again. And so, again, that when you begin to think of death as a reunification mm-hmm. with God, it can kind of present a different view of it than I, that I think people outside of Christianity may not experience or know, and people inside Christianity may not experience or know. Um, and then, so I guess how how do, have you wrestled with that tension between? death maybe being this reunification and then also death um, being what scripture calls the great enemy and, and mm-hmm. this thing that causes so much grief and, and devastation in the world. What does that look like for you? Um, I think it just has been sort of like realizing that Jesus redeemed everything, including mm-hmm. death. Like mm-hmm. if Jesus hadn't done what he did, death would still be mm-hmm. the ultimate enemy um, but he took it for us and yeah. essentially like, yes, we still have to die, but he took, he did take the horror of it away yeah. and, and therefore like the fear of it away. And there's this poem by, um, I think you pronounce his name, John Dunn, even though it's D-O-N-N-E. <laughs> um, but anyway, he has this great poem that's basically speaking to death and he says like, death, don't be proud because like you think you're the end, you think that you're this like powerful, powerful, horrid thing, but you're the gate to heaven. Mm. And mm. so don't be so confident because death is going to die too. Yeah. Um, and it's a really beautiful poem. Um, and so I just think that Jesus changed death entirely because he can redeem anything. And he just, like if he can redeem his death, which was the most negative event in history, and he redeemed that into the best thing in mm. history. I mean, Good Friday. Yeah. Um, then how how could he not do that with all of our individual mm. deaths? Yeah, that's well said. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a piece that I would hope for everyone is that kind of that practical application. Um. So what would you say to someone who is either dealing with death for themselves um, or someone they are close to? What encouragement would you give them? Um, I mean, I think, like, as a Christian... Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think just to, like, really... To just really dwell on what it means if Jesus existed and if he did what we say he did um, and how that just changes things. Like we have a very different view of life and death in Christianity. And I think that if we lose sight of that and if we're as scared of death as people who don't believe in Jesus, then we're completely missing the power of what he did. And so I would just say, you know, really, really think about like what that means um and yeah i think that 
it's just that's what makes us different, and that's that's the um, the power that we have that He gave us. It's just that He already He took the blow, and we just kind of get to follow. Hmm. Yeah, that's again really well said. I, it makes me think of um, you know you mentioned the the. Uh, poem about death and be not proud and there's again and again there's scriptures that reference a, a similar thing you know paul writes death where where is your sting um and that uh it can feel almost trite to say that this side of heaven right because if you've lost someone you know that death still does sting and yet paul's writing with this glimpse of eternity of what christ has done um and the way that he's defeated it and that's our ultimate hope. And so we cling to that in the moments of grief and loss and death. Um, and I just want to thank you, Kaylee, for sharing that with us mm-hmm. and, and how you've clung to that hope and, and your story. Um, I, I hope this is encouraging to a lot of a lot of people listening today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know you uh, had maybe a quote you wanted to share yes. from C.S. Lewis <laughs> that I thought might be a good place Always. for us to, to wrap up. I know you can't go wrong with quoting C.S. Lewis. Right. <laughs> Um, context. So this is from The Problem of Pain, mm. and um, he's speaking about death, and he says, Christianity teaches us that the terrible task has already in some sense been accomplished for us, that a master's hand is holding ours as we attempt to trace the difficult letters, and that our script need only be a copy, not an original. Mm-hmm. I think that's the perfect place to wrap up. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks Alyssa too for jumping on and and co-hosting. Excited for this season with you. Um, If uh, this conversation has left you uh, wanting to to learn more, read more, think about more of the things we talked about, we will have some resources uh, that we've mentioned throughout this podcast and then additional ones in the notes. So feel free to check those out if you would like to dive a little bit deeper on this conversation about the fear of death. Thanks for listening to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. We hope that this show will spark conversation and that you'll share this episode with a friend. Join us on Instagram at Waterstone CC or Facebook at Waterstone Church to continue the conversation and share your thoughts and opinions with us. This podcast is hosted by me, Paul Joslin, and Alyssa Frisbee. Today's show was edited and mixed by Phil Nelson, produced by Emily Kloss, and the graphic was designed by Lane Gerking. Special thanks to Kaylee Buxton for joining us and sharing her journey with terminal illness and her incredible faith. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks.